0: Samai Deng Tung Tin. We. Oui. This is a rare, rare and fabulous occasion, is it not? It, it truly is. It truly is. It we, truly we is. Are, it's an auspicious day. It's an auspicious day because, uh, dear listeners, you may not know this, but through the magic of uh, technology, mm-hmm. uh, Samai and myself have not actually been in the same room. The entire course of this show. I don't think they could tell. I don't think they could tell. We have, have such no idea. That's chemistry. Our report. That's our yeah. report. Yeah. However, oh, today. Yeah. You and I, are eye to eye. Well, not really. When I'm sitting higher up than you. Yeah, but that's just because to compensate for normally because I'm looking down. Okay, that's kind of rude. I'm actually, I'm actually quite tall. Um, what for? All right. Um, <laughs> so here we are. You know, obviously in the Dindem bunker. Um, in Albania. In well, actually, you know, we say we make all these jokes, but actually, the Din Din bunker is um, in Lupini Park, under- <laughs> underneath, underneath the the uh, the pond thing, right? <laughs> the, above us is all the <laughs> no, license no, uh, um, and. Uh, it's, yeah. Okay. We, yeah, yeah. that's and, right. and, sure, and, sure, sure. You know, we're sitting here. We've got um, Giles G. Pecor and <laughs> Andrew McGregor Marshall's over there. They're playing chess. Omneko um, is like just hanging out in the corner, like. Somsack, did you see Somsack? Oh, yeah, man. he was making a drinks Absolutely right, <laughs> that guy. Um, so yeah, we're hanging out with all the gang yeah, in, the yes, in a couple of years, in a couple of weeks. Oh, hold on, I'm, I'm gonna bleep that name. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, I mean it's a it's a auspicious day, auspicious as you said um, I think we've had a nice. I mean, you haven't been in the bunker that long, have we? No, no. Um, a walk and Yeah.
1: It's all yours, mate. Sawati so, crap and welcome back to an episode of the San podcast. Uh, it is me, Samai Tan and I'm joined with the usual person that sort of starts talking, uh, Gabriel, how are you?
0: Uh, I'm alright, mate. Oh yeah? Oh, yeah. You, you, you're making fun of me uh, I'm now? Doing, I'm doing a you. You're doing a me. You're yeah. doing a me. Right, and you're well, doing a me, so... No, I wasn't! You were doing a bit of a me.
1: I was doing a bit of a you. All right, um, can tell the listeners uh, mm. what we've done today.
0: Oh well, we just went to see an old friend. Um, yeah. If you keep track of our social media, this would have been about two weeks ago now, though, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, if, so, yeah. You would have seen. You can figure well, it out. But we did something
1: important, you know. We we, yeah. we
0: tammed some boon.
1: We tammed some boon. Yeah. Um, a couple of Sahais tammed some boon. Yeah, that's, that's about it. That's about it. Well, speaking of Sahais, mm. one very important comrade in the Thai historical communist, leftist, socialist, the, the, the,
0: the Thai lefty mythos. The
1: Thai, the, the Thai lefty mythos mm. um, is obviously, I'd care about now. I know he spat out my teeth. I knew, spit take, uh, mm. is Jit mm. Um And so today's episode uh, is going to try and start to wrap up some of the work that we've been doing about his book uh the real face of thai feudalism or thai Sectina today um and we'll be given an extra bit of detail on his life and things about uh how he's seen today sort of his his place in in thai not just Thai marxism but thai culture thai politics uh, and, and thailand and
0: international marxism oh, as well, well yeah. i hope
1: well yeah we, we can explain how um we're obviously gonna explain how his theories are not only applicable to the Siamese Thai context, because that is the sign of good marks, is the ability to work at both levels of the local and the cross-cultural, or the the cross-international. Yeah, but I don't like that word. No? No. Okay. Anyway, that's not the point. So we'll start with uh, painting a picture of who he was. I mean... The, the only real person that I know who knows enough about him is the guy that wrote the eulogy
0: oh the guy who, who would that be I oh oh that was me um yeah so I wrote a eulogy for JIT you can find it on dindang.com as always
1: most things most good things
0: though. like most good things um I mean JIT PUMISAK BEN Nakid Nakian. I think we said that in the last episode as we well we said that
1: in a f- I said that in f- yeah. the last one at least
0: uh, so thinker, yeah, writer think write. um, Sometimes described as The Che Guevara of Thailand I don't particularly like that
1: Well the reason they did yeah. that is because um, For a long time the, 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 the CPT, the Communist Party of Thailand They were trying to like um, Rouse the, 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 the youth By all these international symbols of communism mm. But once Jit died they said, oh, we don't need to do that. We just paint him as the guy. So there was a bit of a shift from looking outwards to looking inwards to finding their own people. They could...
0: That makes sense, but it is a bit of a strange analogy. Oh, no, yeah, I wouldn't have
1: used that either. But, like, there's a point there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, And generally, like... A bit of a generalist was our jit, you know. Mm. There's not not many generalists he did, he did nowadays, things, man. but he did a lot of things. Literature.
1: He was he was good at literature. Uh,
0: yeah, like a, a writer, both fiction and nonfiction, mm. uh, also of music, yeah. uh, drama, yeah. like plays and shit, yeah. and um, and a devoted scholar for writing, you know, historical texts.
1: And, and he was not just a, a thinker and a writer, and interested in Thai things.
0: No, well, also a linguist. I, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and because of uh, because of his time growing up um, uh, in Batambong, he was very au fait, familiar with with Khmer literature.
0: That's um, that's in Cambodia. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah.
1: At, at the time occupied, was it? Pretty sure.
0: Pre World War Two.
1: During World War Two.
0: Well, he was there pre as well, wasn't he? So oh, he okay. would have seen both. Yeah.
1: Uh, he would have seen both. Yeah. Anyway, point is, he was there, so he's he was there. he's familiar with Khmer uh the, the language he
0: spoke fluent khmer which is cambodian yeah. like ancient khmer as well i think i'm and, not familiar yeah oh,
1: okay, that's cool uh but yeah no he um he wound up uh at jula
0: as one does as back one in does. The day, if you're uh, any kind of scholarly type you were know, you able to think yeah. uh,
1: able to know things you and able well to have the up. money as well so he well, did come it's from a pretty middle class yeah, yeah pretty middle yeah. class guy but you know when he was there he wasn't exactly um you know no, to the grindstone. No, and he wasn't the most popular oh, kid in class as uh, well. Well, or at least he wasn't really concerned with a lot of the stuff he was assigned.
0: No, no. Yeah. Which um, um,
1: I guess if you went to Oxford, you were made to read like the biography of Cecil Rhodes. Biography yeah. of Cecil Rhodes. You would be like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. But like, so he was a lot more interested in uh, things in his own sort of fields of interest, which sort of. Have that overlap in his interest in Khmer literature, um, Thai literature as well. Um, so for for the for, for the longest time, it was just his interest in art, culture, literature,
0: but tied to history, tied well. to history. Yeah.
1: But that wasn't necessarily from the perspective that it would become from until he started um, reading some of the radical magazines that were flying around. Well,
0: do you know, Do you know the the myth? story about how he got radicalized. Oh, uh, what's,
1: what's the myth story?
0: About the American embassy. Oh, the, the
1: tr- translating the, yeah. the manifesto.
0: So supposedly, and I, I think there's some debate whether to how true this is, he did translate the communist manifesto into Thai and he was paid by the American government to do that as like a, in a red scare way, yeah. as in like, you know, this is dangerous. Um, it, it's debatable whether that actually is what radicalized him or not, but it's a nice story. I
1: mean... It would be part of it. I don't think that that one event could ever radicalize someone unless yeah. it's like extreme. But, I don't think translating a book.
0: Yeah. Would... Well. But you know,
1: it was probably part of
0: the story. It was something.
1: It was anyway. part of the story. Yeah. Um, and, so he gets. So he gets interested in Marxism. Yes, and he starts to write again about these about Thai literature in a way that is critical or not critical in like the. Um, poking at the bad parts but making people prov- provocative of thought yeah um saying "Oh, you know, consider the social conditions of the time um and how this translated into the main parts of the story how it like um, very structural kind very of structural critiques. analysis he, yeah. he was a basically literary, literary yeah 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 you know.
0: and a lot of those magazines back then were these kind of like you know, frankly, like highly middle class orientated. Yeah, it
1: was like a, the, the the Thai Thai kind of lefty intelligentsia, yeah. academic sorts,
0: like young younger people. This is um, and this is also kind of around the birth of the Communist Party Thailand initially, right? Well, this is because um, the, the CPT itself. Sorry, I don't think we were clear. Like we're talking nineteen fifties right now. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the CPT itself was um, sort of there. The, there was a Thai branch of the South Seas Communist Party, but that's a that's a story for the next for another time. When we talk about the CPT itself. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the CPT itself was coming into its own after the uh, ch- the success in China uh, of the um, of the Chinese Communist Party and
0: built off the back of the Seri Thai resistance yeah, during back. World War Saritai II resistance. against the Japanese.
1: So those two things coming together, there was a and also the legal the fact that it was okay to actually have the Communist Party of Thailand for a very brief period yes. of time Feels meant legal. that there was interest, mm. um, and so all these sort of factors made it possible for left-wing ideas to begin getting thrown around. Yeah. Uh, and obviously...
0: They were just starting to bubble up. They were right? starting to
1: bubble, yeah. and then what happens?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, just just when we're talking about this kind of bubbling point, there is that story about Jit getting the shit beaten out of him by royalist students. Didn't know that one. Oh, you didn't know that no, story? Know. Yeah, Chula, yeah. Uh, I can imagine. Sucks. Um, but yeah, then there was uh, the old uh, crackdown on yeah. any leftist... Yeah. Fought or organizing and uh gets thrown into prison
1: prison in prison time he uh, th- he's a prolific goddamn writer yeah
0: that's where he did most of his work actually, yeah he really. does
1: a lot of his poetry's his songs
0: what was what did they call the prison the university what was the nickname i can't remember man can we check
1: uh yeah we can check right
0: lad lad Lao that, yeah. university yeah is that it yeah, yeah something like that yeah. Because there were so many Imprisoned Scholarly like, like, Leftists Yeah academic types Because yeah. they
1: were all Rewriting the magazines The socialist magazines Yeah But um, Yeah uh, in this time He writes um,
0: Oh sorry There was just one thing I watched forever oh yes. Which is that There was a lefty scene Prior to JIT Oh yeah, yeah. Right like when you You read the Somsack paper Right
1: which part um, of some sort, of people?
0: The beginning, like when he talks about the very origins of leftists. I don't remember it. Okay, yeah, like, there was there was a leftist scene prior to Jit arriving, you know, but you know, not nothing too big, anyway.
1: Yeah, okay. So in his time at uh, in the prison, he writes uh, a lot of things, including the song "Starlight Faith," and that song has become pretty significant in a yeah. political sense, you know, culturally. Uh, you know the the PAD sang it, <laughs>
0: which is a far right group. <laughs> which
1: is weird. Yeah, and then the UDD sang it too.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a there's a long. Maybe we can get to the kind of oh after it. No, uh, but the, the reason yeah, I, 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 go
1: I, I, I so my point I'm trying to make is that um, what we're trying to do after I explain this next bit is explain his theory, explain his understandings, and why it's strange. And also somewhat understandable why people would use his work in this way. So, for the for the, the PAD, they thought that they were... That's a right-wing. That's the right-wing group. They thought that the the reason they were singing this song was because they were um, protesting unjust yeah. use of, um, well, the, the state apparatus.
0: Yeah, by taxing. By taxing.
1: Whilst the UDD... Um, Who were it, the kind of were, red shirts. They thought that yeah. they were... Um, representing the grassroots rising up yeah. against the aristocracy.
0: But through their man taxing. Th- through
1: their man taxing. Yeah. So, um, I
0: mean, like, this music is, I guess you could say, vague enough. It, it, this yeah. song, this song, anyway. Yeah. Later on, they become, a, you know, very classically communist. And
1: his music style and his, his sort of literature yeah. sort of styles, the, 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 sort of the whole art for life, playing, and then playing, the, playing poetry, literate, yeah. the, the music for life style which is a common by who?
0: What do you mean? Common,
1: who, who's like one of the biggest names? Like one of the biggest names. You mean names. Carabao? Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Carawan. But, but this yeah. this is
0: basically like uh, socialist realism. Yeah. Art, yeah. you know. Um, so it's like music and culture for the express purpose of the proletariat to, you know... Even when you, the, the, the people who make the music represent the, the, the yellow shirts. In this, in that, well, yeah, in the, in the case. Of um, but yeah, the express purpose for like, you know, the uh, proletariat to help yeah. achieve class consciousness and solidarity, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, so all that brings us to probably the most important thing about Jit Pumisak, which is his work. Uh, Chomna Thai So the real face of Thai Satina or feudalism today. Um. Now all of this is based on <laughs> my reading of the translation by Reynolds. Um, and so to begin, we'll talk about the. Wait, sorry. Before uh, we
0: do that, do you want to quickly go do the rest of Jit's life before we go back to the? the oh shit!
1: Sure. Which what's the rest of it? We'll join um, in the CPT. The, the CPT and the death. Okay, yeah. Where well, can I do it? Yeah, go ahead. So just say after prison.
0: Yeah. So then after prison, right, he, I think he made like a deal with the, with the Thai state where he said, hey, look, I'm not a communist. I am absolutely no threat. You can let me go. So the Thai government said, oh, OK, he's not a communist. He will pose no threat. So they let him go. And he immediately went and joined the communist insurgency and sadly was captured and killed within the year. Um, 66. This is a very early days of the insurgency. Yeah. So that that was the end of Jit Pumisak. That there, there is still a statue in it's in Sakon nakon right? That's what you said, yeah. yeah. I think so. Um, which you know is still honoured and he is very much still beloved today. Yeah. I think
1: my favourite tidbit about Pumisak law is the um one of the like you know the, like the spirit boxes right the spirit houses that 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 you yeah. have at the end of the house they would have the, the ones for jit for a jit. they would offer um beer um daodeng so heineken mm, yeah and i thought that was <laughs> that was that was pretty funny
0: <laughs> i mean i was just as well just to put it in a bit of um context at the thai labor museum there's like a shrine oh, yeah. for him there yeah, 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 yeah. which is quite cool That's- Pretty cool. And um,
1: uh, please visit the Tai labor Museum.
0: Yeah, and you can also visit Jits Statue in Yeah, yeah. One if, you're in the, if you're in the area, yeah.
1: And then uh, if you if you're in the and then go up to Petrubu. <laughs> yeah. Do the whole to, circuit. Do the loop. Yeah. Do a loop. But yeah, um so,
0: so yeah, like you're saying, like the we should really focus on the book. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to
1: focus on the book now. Um, the way I've. Gone through the book is that there's about three sections to it. Not, not three sections in the way that Jit has organized the book. Uh, the book itself wasn't totally finished before it was rushed off to a publisher. Um, so the, the work that we have um, obviously needs to be continued and has been continued to some degree. But the point um, is that the book focuses on the characteristics of the Thai feudal system uh, and how that relates to the creation of the what then would come the, the then would become to be the Thai bourgeois class, the historical the historical creation of the Thai uh, Sakdina feudal system um, range uh, coming from the primitive communist or primitive communal society. Until the Sectino system, and then a very deep and thorough analysis of taxes yeah, and classic Marxist, classic Marxist stuff. Yeah. Um, for the purposes of this section, we will be focusing on the general broad themes and uh analysis and theory that he has in this first section of the book. Um we will then come to explain how it actually makes sense in a cr- international, mm. as you say, international uh, context, in contexts. So we have how it works in Thailand. He refers to that. Mm. Sorry. So he refers to how it works in Thailand, but he also makes allusions to the French Revolution or to feudal um, England um, and how through his reading of the works of European socialists, you could actually sort of see how he's managed to create these international uh, cross-cultural paradigms and, and theories.
0: Yeah, I think the the book is very, very vague in yeah. some senses. Yeah. Um, it, it, it doesn't, like you say, it makes allusions to, to Europe and what have you, but generally it's speaking really broadly. It's like a very broad picture of this is how feudalism worked in the entire world and this is how Um, and this is how the capitalist class came into existence but he doesn't really talk about like enclosure or something like that it is from a Thai perspective looking out on the rest of the world he makes
1: he makes enclosure references but he never like goes into detail that makes a lot of sense because this is still about Thailand and it's about the Thai feudal system and
0: also it's it's for a Thai audience and I think that's important is you know why was this book written and what influence does it still have today? And, you know, he wrote this book because typically in schools, people are taught about this utopian agrarian past, which is, you know, a complete falsehood. It was pretty much serfdom and horror and terror for the vast majority of the people living in Siam. And he, and, you know, there's, there's, in conservative governments, always there is this constant, constant, you know, references to this great past, which, which your ancestors used to live in. And he wrote this book to be like, Hey, look, this great past fucking sucks and life fucking sucks now as well. And it's because of this shitty past that we've come from. Like you said in the article, the vestiges of the Saktina system is one of the key reasons why the peasants are still, you know, exploited today. And and just on on the on how much impact that had, I was talking to one of our comrades from TUMS, Tamasat University, Marxism Studies. Check them out. Check them out. A couple of days ago, and I asked him, like, you know, how did you become interested in socialism? And he said because I read Jit. You know, he's he's twenty one years old, and he you know he's born he's born in the year two thousand, right? So th- this is a really significant book. A yeah, very significant yeah. book. Yeah.
1: So for people to get involved start getting interested for people to expand their knowledge and for people to view things through a different lens um and uh, um,
0: I, also i mean a- another way i kind of looked at this book is it's kind yeah. of like myth busting yeah 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 it, uh, in, in terms out, of that the
1: jamie heineman of uh
0: yeah in terms of that you know utopian past yeah absolutely
1: mm-hmm. and he riffs he not riffs but he goes on about these Sakdina scholars always referring to uh, literature and all these nithan of the folklore and saying, oh, this is actually how the past was like. It was all, you know, harmonious angels and and the ki- god kings and that kind yeah. of stuff looking out after their, uh, their, uh, their subjects. But, yeah. Um, so, so should
0: we learn about what it was actually? Sh- like? Should we actually start? Yeah, should yeah we, yeah, we start? should probably start. Um, what are we, 20 minutes in?
1: Nice. <laughs> nice. I mean, this thing's so quick anyway. Yeah, right. let's
0: do it. Yeah. Okay.
1: So uh, the first part, um, is, as you can see, if you've read... the the article, actually, is the Saktina production system as a whole. Uh, And as with the general understanding and consensus on feudalism, it is all about land. Uh, Saktina, the word itself, um, comes from the the phrase that means power in controlling the fields, and Jit goes on to elaborate with um, different definitions that combine political, economic, and cultural um, def- dimensions and his first section of the book talks about the characteristics from these three lenses. But I think the most important thing to understand is, but be- the most fundamental thing is to understand the class uh, and relations of productions. So,
0: well, also the fact that you know Saktina is a production system. Oh,
1: oh, right? yeah. The, uh, I should mention that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, two things about Siam at this time, right? It's still not a... The time period in which Jit analyzes is still not a solid, solid, solidified uh, polity. It's still a collection of kingdoms. I mean, Ayutthaya and Sukhothai, they weren't exactly like one after the other. No. They, they existed that... they, they had, There was overlap and there was fighting. Um, uh, I think that to think about um, his Thai history in a very linear fashion is reductionist and kind of builds into this whole peaceful transition of power but anyway
0: um sorry i just want to say you know also jit kind of he he starts the sakdina period at around the Sukhothai era yeah well he's
1: yeah because he, that's when for him the m- most major deviation from the sa- slave system uh came about
0: the mandala system? Uh, no. The, no.
1: the, the mandala, no, no. The slave system of mode of production.
0: Ah, yeah. we're talking about mode of production. Yeah. So, so mandala. The mandala system, quickly do. Yeah. yeah. The
1: mandala system is more of a sort of a, to use a contemporary term, like an international relations theory of tributes and spheres of influence. It's, a, it's a political system. It's a political, it's, it's a way to describe the political relationships between different kingdoms. Yeah. And most of these kingdoms functioned under. Uh, towards the end of the Sakdina period under a Saktina uh, mode of production. But in the early days of the feudal period, there were still a lot of slave um, states that were still about the fighting wars to create more slaves.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, this is kind of like the, I think the easiest way, maybe for people to understand this, is maybe like the, the Mongol Empire would be a good example. Is that right? Uh, I, I'm not even that sure. I don't even know
1: what the Mongols count as, okay, to be fine. completely honest with you. I'm just
0: thinking like expansionist, we will conquer that territory yeah, to get yeah, more yeah, slaves. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Okay,
1: okay. Yeah, well, what? but yeah, the, the fundamental thing to, to understand is that in the period where politics and relations were characterised by the Mandala system, you had early... Um, you had early s- feudal states that came from slave states Mer- uh, at the same time as slave states that were still going strong mm. um, and towards the end of that people tended to move towards a purely Sakdina mode of production feudal mode of production where rather than acquiring more slaves you wanted to acquire more land to have people work on
0: and, and then the in terms of like how that relates to people people are tied to that land. Yeah. Certain. And so,
1: the the one characteristic that um, Jit talks about that carries on, the, one of the main characteristics, beg your pardon, is the non-personhood of yeah. the serf. So, the slave, or the, the le- um he or she, they, they had no rights. They had no rights, and that characteristic carried on to the Sakdina system, where... They were tied to the land and were bought and sold with the land. However, that was only one of the classes. That was the prai, the agricultural slaves, the serfs.
0: Sorry, can I kind just add as well? They also did like corvee labor.
1: Yes, um, which is again another vestige of the slave system. Yeah, which is the they so they forced them at some parts of the year to perform um, labor in the fields that were not tended regularly by serfs.
0: So I guess you'd call it like nation building kind of labor. Yeah. Public
1: works, that kind of thing, monuments. That's what characterized, characterized, characterized the slave system, you know,
0: as well as like roads and stuff, like the pyramids,
1: right? He talks about the pyramids and he talks about how this was a monument, um, built, uh, with slave labor and the motor production was a, everything's, you know, to uphold and to, do projects for the the ruling class, yeah, um, and so this carried on, but it wasn't as important as say uh production and labor to create food.
0: Sorry, I, I just got an idea. Like, did you play Age of Empires? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you know, I was like, you build the wonders to like get prestige to, to points operate, to yeah. yeah. So it's kind of something like that, like. You control like you can put the 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 villager character like on the farm square yeah. to work it, and then sometimes
1: you have to move him...
0: and then sometimes if you want to build yeah, something, that is else, literally what it is. That's what it was. A- right? Age of Age of Empires yeah. is an
1: accurate simulator. Yeah, or of, of the of system. Although,
0: sorry, another quick thing about corvee labor. I be, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I believe that also includes military service.
1: Um. I don't think that it would come under the purview, but military service was definitely a thing. Like, I don't know if you would classify military time conscription as corvee labor because you had to perform un- from three to six months approximately. Yeah. Uh, you had to perform public works labor, corvee labor for the for your local like Jail, landlord, Jail. landlord, yeah. Um, but at, in addition to that, you could be called up at any point, at really, any point. because because as Jit talks about. Um, a lot of these serfs were working fields that were right outside of, like, what you would call in Europe a citadel,
0: say, for example, right? A muang in Thai.
1: um, Yeah, a muang in Thai. And so when foreign... Well, other... Outsider. Outside armies or militias or uh, kings would threaten the kingdom, um, these serfs would all flock to be within side.
2: Uh
1: And so... The relationship begins from there. Uh, the relationship begins in that, well, you are now under my protection. As the, I'm the monarch. I'm providing you with protection from mm-hmm. people. You must now produce for me X amount of food so that I may use this to defend you and yeah. to fund a military to protect you.
0: Yeah, but the and, same... and that 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 to protect you, I may have to expand our borders to deal with that threat, and then the cycle continues. And at the, the same time, and at the same time, if to.
1: my military starts, uh, the numbers start falling, I will probably have to ask you to join as well. And you have to do this because otherwise, I'll just leave you outside to die. So yep. that that is the beginning of the relationship. It's very much holding a gun to someone's it head and quite, telling it, them to say thank you for it.
0: Yeah, it's quite a sick kind of codependency. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but yeah, the the, the the classes, aside from the obvious two uh, classes, the big landlords, the doubt and the pride, there was also the free men, but they weren't really that free.
0: And what was that? What were they called? Oh,
1: the tie. The tie. The tie. Here we go. And um, Jit makes a point of mentioning that people misattribute thailand uh. to the reference of the thai people that this thai class of people but the reality is the thai class of people was minute mm. in comparison to the number of people who were not free in fact a lot of sakdina scholars uh, pro sakdina scholars or rosy looking sakdina scholars they would um, funda- uh, characterize the underclass as the the entire underclass to be the thai as opposed to Thai, Lek, and Pry.
0: Lek and Pry being the serfs. Serfs, the and then also
1: the slaves, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so sorry, like, even... I think it's good to point out, like, the naming of the country, Thailand, Thailand. is itself kind of revisionist history, right? Exactly, yeah.
1: exactly, which is why I stand by Siam.
0: <laughs> right, because then it would be like free he, land. Right? He
1: mentions that... We'll talk about this next time, but he mentions Siam and, like, how Siam was the... The, the the name given to slaves brought from like Siamese, mm. vaguely Siamese kingdoms in other places. Mm-hmm. So like in, the, in like the Thai slaves in in Cambodia or in uh, the Khmer Empire, mm. Siam. That's so,
0: often the case. Like there, there's a that's a better name. Most well, better no, name. I just mean like most places get their name from what outsiders call yeah, them. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. That's
1: also true. Instead of but Thailand, no, we call ourselves what we want to call ourselves. Mm, yeah.
0: Okay, revisionist. revisionist. Anyway, yeah.
1: um, as you can probably discern from some of the things I've mentioned so far, the form and purpose of production, the point of production in early Sakdina Thailand, or the early Sakdina system in general, is production for subsistence, mm-hmm. right? It's all about farming the land to feed yourself. But at the same time, crop yields weren't exactly shit. You know, You mm. still had a lot left over. If you were able to retain the fruits of your labor, you would be able to set yourselves up for a winter, perhaps.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, have, well, not winter, I don't know what well, not
1: in Thailand, but, yeah. you know, mean. Like monsoon time, <laughs> yeah, when, you, yeah, when, yeah, when yeah, the yeah. fields aren't viable. For, Out
0: of harvest season. Yeah. Yep.
1: Uh, however, as a result of the relationship between the landlords and the agricultural peasant save class, um, part of the yield went to the, 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 the landlord. Um
0: will use your percentage, which yeah, varies so a bit in different We should areas. we
1: should mention sort of vaguely what the percentages were, just to give yeah. a demonstration of um, the the different levels of uh, as I would argue uh, oppression, right? The Pry were basically taxed the most, uh, in a tax in kind. So it wasn't so like,
0: these these are the serfs.
1: These are the serfs. The serfs weren't necessarily made to pay land tax, um, they were made to give parts of their yield so actual crop, actual produce to the the, the, the landlords. That was about fifty to eighty percent of an annual yield,
0: which is a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> but you know, uh, then I just throwing it out there. The. You know these pro-Segunda scholars, as you call them, would say, you know, oh yeah, but the the landlords would then wait for if there was like a famine or something, they would store and they the would grain, give it all, they'd back. Give it all well, back. By the time
1: by the time the famine comes, Definitely they've already spent it all. all on their armies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then the Thai, the free men, um, who I should mention, they weren't bought and sold with land. Mm. They could rent land, yeah. so they had to pay tax, right? But oh, sorry, no, they didn't pay tax. Um, they paid soy, uh, which is the tax in kind. I can't remember how. That's you That's like it. the
0: the percentage. The percentage. It. So they pay yeah. thirty
1: to fifty percent
0: of grain that yeah. they produce. Yeah. So whatever, that was like that was
1: their form of tax. Yeah. Land tax. However, the third class of peasant, the yeah. the best class of peasant, like the equivalent of the petit bourgeois, for example, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry, like. You know what I mean? But between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie...
0: Are we talking merchant class? No. Uh, Not well, yet. They, these
1: people became the merchant class. Yeah. Because they... Are we uh, talking about the Thai? No, the the, the independent peasants. Ah, They were landlords, yeah, but yeah, they yeah. weren't big landlords.
0: Yes, yeah, so the small... Because, yeah, Jit, Jit uses this... Or maybe it's Reynolds' translation. He, he does say big landlords yeah, and small yeah. landlords. And to be
1: fair, it makes sense, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think maybe this applies to maybe areas that are further away from the, the Moons, the cities. Uh,
1: uh, uh,
0: uh, and then they make like ally ships with yeah. certain cities. Maybe that's what it is. I'm not entirely clear. But again, you know, this isn't Jit talking about Thailand. This is Jit talking about the whole world yeah, as well. Yeah. And like I said before, he's being really yeah. general about it. so
1: Which is sort of what makes it hard to really critique it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, they can't be bought and sold with the land because they actually... Uh, they, they owned the land itself. They didn't rent the land. But because of the fact that the big landlord became the people who were, would become the monarchs, right? They become yeah. the actual kings of the areas uh, or queens sometimes. The lords. The lords, yeah. right? They were still in charge of the domain.
0: Yeah.
1: So even if you were a landowner... Within the this domain, mm. within the king's domain, the king dom. Sorry, I had to. Yeah, you had to pay land tax.
0: It's kind of like vassal, vassalage, right?
1: Uh, vassalage comes up in, in, in later,
0: but, the, but it's, it's akin to vassalage. Uh, it's on a, like a smaller scale. It's what it sounds no, like. No, no? you no, don't think so. No. I
1: will. I will get. We'll to, get we to can vassalage. argue this later.
0: we in part two. In, no, no, as in like okay. in about five minutes. All right, then okay. we'll get there.
1: Um, so yeah, so the independent peasants they don't pay any of their yield, but they do pay land tax. So it doesn't matter how free you are, as long as you are not a big landlord, you still get done. Yeah. Yeah. So because of this, you had that subsistence form of production, which was undermined by the taking stuff from you and giving it to uh, the the big landlord class. and the big landlord class, they, for the for the beginning, would also subsist in their own way. Even though they didn't produce themselves, what they took from the peasant class, they would then use to sustain uh, their families and sustain their militaries. Yeah. But they would often have surplus. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, they would, with the rise of, you know, more discovering of new uh, new, lo- new nearby um, kingdoms, uh
0: well, it's, it's trade, right? Yeah, this is this yeah.
1: is yeah. So, the establishment of new trade routes, yeah, new trading partners. Was well, diplomacy? The, yeah, the, the, yeah. Uh, better, better marine technology, uh, marine, yeah, maritime maritime, 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 better maritime technology. Um, fewer pirates in the high seas and the Malacca Straits. <laughs> um, yeah, this would all culminate in a change from the point of production to be subsisting to the point of production for the landlord class, at least, to be for trade yeah this is how we come to the trade monopoly so
0: quickly yes i I want to point out like if you're a landlord you do want to trade and it becomes very very significant because you can only produce certain stuff in your region whereas your neighbor yeah whereas your neighbor (laughs) down the road can or you know across the sea you yeah. can produce all sorts of other stuff which you want so of course you're going to start trading right
1: and it started like with like precious gems and that kind of thing and
0: i don't know what it is that what it started well with? He, uh,
1: jim mentions that it didn't start with precious gems but gems were one of the main things that really got right people going yeah but luxury goods luxury goods but obviously like places where you couldn't produce iron yeah that's what i'm thinking you wanted of. to find somewhere where you could produce iron yeah um, I mean, obviously, uh, Indonesians uh, when they started trading, or people that became Indonesia, like spices and that yeah. kind of thing, that you couldn't get up in yeah. up in uh, Siam. Anyway, um, so we get to the trade monopoly system of production, uh, which is you know, uh, like Gabriel mentioned, um, producing for the uh, trading for things you don't have,
0: yeah. and what so, this so it's producing food, so that or producing. So some kind of surplus so that you can trade it. Yeah, specifically, and um, I mean, and the monopoly word as well. I just wanted to clarify oh, yes. that. Yes, is that you know, only the landlords can trade, so they have a monopoly on trading.
1: And the right. way they did that was they just they just inserted themselves into as many aspects of trade as they could. Yeah, they monopolized uh, shipbuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, they made themselves middlemen uh, in any potential trades. Yeah. Uh, so they would always get a large cut. Um, they would sometimes just straight-out ban the ability yeah. to trade. And to be completely honest, bans aside, the fact that a lot of produce was being taken by the, landlord's class, the landlord class itself meant that the peasant class had very little to trade with to begin with. Yeah. However, um, through trade and through the bringing of new um, resources, and obviously the exchange of ideas. You have the development of new technology, which allows for the increase in productivity. Um, But as we'll mention later, uh, JIT argues that there's an upper limit on this.
0: Yeah, this is... This is
1: a little bit of a point of contention for us. Anyway, um, so you you could probably split the monopoly system... In a few stages, you've got pre-monopoly, emerging monopoly, established monopoly, and declining monopoly. And just the overview is that um, over the secular period, you've got landlords starting to expropriate for subsistence to becoming landlords who expropriate for the pure sake of trade. Uh, And this via its its internal contradictions, um, as Jim mentions, then leads to the collapse of the system. And because of the rise of the middle class being these independent merchants who then don't like the way that the trade system is being monopolized monopolized by the, uh, the, the landlord class.
0: So this is this is when we start to see Jit talking about something he's constantly referencing later on, which is the rise of the bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie.
1: Th- this entire sort of first bit um, details the, 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 con- the characteristics and the conditions, but also he does it in relation to two main things, uh, which is... How this creates the bourgeoisie and how this upholds the sartina. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in that last stage, in, in terms of the uh, the in terms of the uh, characteristics of the last stage of the trade monopoly system, he talks about two things, and this is using his words or the translation of his words: mm. agricultural backwardness, yeah. right, and the ruin of the peasantry. Yeah, right. So agricultural backwardness. This is our point of contention, mm-hmm. or point of interest, we should say.
0: I, I, this is, this is, I, I disagree with this point. Well, I don't. Should we make the point? In yeah, the, can we yeah, we should make the point? Go ahead. Right.
1: To, 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 be as sort of on it as possible, I'm just going to read it off.
0: Yeah, just quote it. Quote
1: it. The height of technology for Saktina agricultural production was characterized by the use of natural fertilizer, draft animals, seasonal cultivation, and excavated irrigation. Jit argues that there was no further technological potential to develop due to the Sakdina economic structure. This upper limit on technological development resulted in a ceiling on productivity, causing the economy to be unable to create any more wealth. The Gadumpi or the bourgeoisie, would therefore continue to miss out unless they were able to develop wealth outside of the agricultural means of production.
0: Yeah, so, so basically what Jit is arguing there, which does sound a bit strange to me, is that there is a ceiling on technological development under feudalism?
1: Right. Well, here's what I how I read it. Yeah. Right. I read it as the point of the agricultural, well, the characteristic of the agricultural, uh, the feudal productive system is it's highly
0: agricultural, mm-hmm. and agriculture itself is like. No, wait, sorry, I I'm I'm pulling back. What? because at this point we're talking about a trade monopoly. Like yeah, the but, purpose is to but, but produce you pro- to trade. No, no
1: no but you don't but you produce you're still producing agricultural stuff.
0: No, but why okay, but he also talks about like handicrafts and stuff. Oh, like okay, that.
1: okay. I, I should mention that. I, and that
0: yeah. Okay. You-
1: so what what he mentions is that there is the secondary mode of production.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I have a theory about this, but that's for another time. Uh-huh. The secondary mode of production is like Okay, so because of the rise in technology that allows agricultural yields to increase...
0: To have surplus.
1: There is now also um, less effort, if we could use that word, required, or less labour yeah, required yeah. Um, in the fields. And so that means there could be more time to pursue secondary avenues of, of uh, wealth. Yeah, wealth, so, so like, this,
0: is like, this is like... Cottage.
1: This is like a cottage, cottage industry.
0: So, like, for can you give some examples?
1: Yeah. So, um, you've got people doing handicrafts. So, you know, people working with fabrics, people working uh, with uh, basic jewelry. And these kinds of things can bring in extra money, but they don't necessarily get taxed because they're not part of the taxing kind, because they're not produced in that primary agricultural mode of production.
0: But, I mean, also, like, I think this can be a really, again, speaking very generally, this can be a really wide variety of things when he says handicrafts. So it could be luxury goods like jewellery and stuff, but it also could be like practical things that make your life easier, like baskets and what have you, you know?
1: And what I think he means by this is that the focus on that primary mode of production... Agriculture. Agricultural mode of production would make means that you can't go very far. That doesn't mean that the secondary mode of production wouldn't have... Would have a technological limit. Well, he, he's talking about how, like, it is the secondary mode of production that allowed the the, the group of um, people that became the middle class to transcend the the Sactina system, yeah. Which is based in the agricultural mode of production. So it's that the agricultural section of the sacdina system that has the technological limit, yeah. not the feudal system as a whole, which comprises right. towards the end of it two modes of production.
0: Yeah, I, I do see what you're saying. Um, I think it's about, the, it's because it's about the focus. It's it, about, it's about, hold on. Yeah. Yeah, so it's about the focus on the agricultural mode of production, as you say. Having said that, I, I still don't see why there would necessarily be like a ceiling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's still surplus, you can still put effort, because ultimately, as a landlord, as a jowl, you still want to have as much surplus as possible right yeah so you you want to advance your agricultural technologies and those two things go hand in hand the more surplus you have the more extra labor can go elsewhere to advancing those technologies so that's why i don't see why there's a ceiling this does remind me of um this guy his name's patrick wyman um he wrote uh he wrote a book that I read a bit of, which I didn't finish. But um, his argument was that, you know, the the rise of European imperialism was only possible because of new technologies, which was only possible because of enclosure, which yeah. started in Britain, right? Um, so, in a sense, he's making a similar argument, right? And that, that's, that's like a very contemporary <laughs> Western scholar. So... I think that's the same argument. Um, so it's saying like only through the development of capital. I don't think he's, but I still, I, I think putting a ceiling, putting an l- upper limit on, seems a bit. Um, what's the word? I think I think it's a bit too of an absolutist way of saying it. But anyway, we can move on. You yeah. know, we don't have to agree with Jill on everything. But no, this is a yeah. But this yeah. is a
1: this is a, this is. A, this is a, a big point that we thought yeah. about a lot, so we thought we might as well, anyway. you know, give our two. Yeah, that's
0: that's just bar, where we're at. I mean, we can think about us, whatever.
1: Yeah. Anyway, we should talk about the uh, political organization outside of the mandala system, so within yeah. the actual secting itself. Um, yeah. So as I as I was mentioning earlier, the landlord class itself became the sort of the group of people that would become the royal family. They would become the monarchy. And this sort of carries on from the way in uh, primitive communal. Uh, when I say primitive, obviously I don't mean ooga-booga. Yeah. Um, yeah. Primitive communal systems, slave systems. They would sort land based on one person who is in charge of the of the group would say, all right, you get this bit, you get that bit, you get that bit, this bit, that bit, that. So the person who's in charge of the land gets to just dis- divide it up. So that carried on into the feudal system in that the person who uh, owns the most land and the people who he allies with, they get to become the people who are in charge. Yeah. And so that's how we have the, as he calls it, <laughs> I can never pronounce it. It's like a Hindu caste. It's, uh, it's the Kshatriya. Yeah,
0: Kshatriya. Uh, yeah. Or
1: we'll just call it the monarch.
0: Or yeah. the. the, the, the... Pandin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and Jit actually makes a point, because as we, you know, he is a linguist. He makes a point, several points, about how language and reference to the monarch shifts over the sakdina period through phasing through Surotai and Ayutthaya to include more um like buddhist terms more things yeah. taken from the Khmer language and more things to really reinforce this relationship between land authority and religion and yeah and that kind of thing and they i mean we still call we still call the king like this kind of thing today i mean like The constitution, the first page of the
0: constitution has like a billion words because it's the name of the king. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. And we still use, in English, we use the term landlord for, you know, one person who owns the plot of land that I'm sitting on. Yeah. Yeah. Lord. Yeah. Which is a
1: weird word to use. Yeah. Yeah. And they lord it over you.
0: It's vestiges. Yeah. Yeah. Vestigials. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Like, it's not, it's vestiges that are shown through language, but it's also vestiges where that, that power we still have the vestige of that power, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of the ownership of land.
1: In fact, it's like the small landlords of the time became the current landlords. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Oh, sure. I did mention the ruin of the peasantry. The ruin of the peasantry is pretty Uh, straightforward. I think
0: it's very interesting though, yeah. uh,
1: Yeah, uh, which is like, because of getting taxed left, right and centre during Saktina's system, you uh, essentially didn't have... Um, time to... Hang on, let me... Let me yeah, so yeah, The Ruin of the Peasantry um, was about how the extreme exploitation of the peasants restricted any social mobility. As such, they would begin flocking to the newly formed sort of industrial centres, the cities, yeah. which would then become industrial centres, urbanised and this would create new opportunities, they would have new opportunities for income because oftentimes you'd be like
0: port cities. And then this would be in the secondary mode of production.
1: This is is when the secondary mode of production starts taking prominence. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Jit actually talks about how it's like the secondary mode of production is like always the thing that jumps us to the next bit because the secondary mode of production becomes the primary mode of production. But
0: it's interesting because like there's that kind of that argument of, you know, capitalism is a contradiction in this sense, you know, feudalism is a contradiction as well, right? This is for another time but what is the secondary mode of production now? Service economy.
1: What what how is that, how are how we going to take that to the next?
0: We, yeah? talk, we talk later. We talk later. We talk yes. later.
1: Anyway, so um yeah, the power hierarchy and the vassals that you were talking about mm. earlier. This is where that comes in.
0: 5 minutes ago. No. <laughs> Listen, man,
1: 5 minutes is a long time. No, no, no. <laughs> um it comes into play when we talk about, over the Sakdina period, the ups and downs and the rise and fall of monarch and state control, absolute control, we could say. So, obviously, the Sakdina system is characterized by an absolute monarchy, um, which carried on into the Thai wow. capitalist system, yeah. <laughs> uh, and still basically vestiges, exists. Vestiges. Vestiges. Sorry. Vestiges exists in the constitutional monarchy. And... Um, What happened was, towards the very beginning, he takes the example of... Guess who he uses the example of?
0: I would imagine the French.
1: Oh, which French? Oh, well, on. He talks about William the Conqueror. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. He talks about how, you know, when he first landed and, you know, beat whoever... Who was it? Harold? Uh, Yeah, Yeah. Harold.
0: Harold. Arrow in the eye, Harold. Arrow
1: in the eye, Harold. Uh, When he first beat him, there was a lot of, you know, backlash because... this was this weird Norman fella coming over. And so he had to give a bit of leeway for these, uh, these uh, not kingdoms, but these, these, these
0: local lords,
1: local lords to be able to have some control and some power. And so from the beginning, that was what happened. However, over time, um, because of the constant bickering, the, the monarch, the overall monarch, who was agreed to be the overall monarch, the absolute monarch, absolute monarch, as long as he gave each of these lords a bit of leeway. Kind of like
0: federalism. Yeah. Yeah. They
1: they just got tired of like always being bending to their will instead yeah. of being able to impose their absolute will. Yeah. So they found, uh, Jit points out two main avenues for the monarch to regain control. Um, he points them as, oh, sorry. He points them out as, one, the replacement of rebelling landlords with members of the Sakdina class that were loyal to the monarchy. Yeah. So that's just creating, c- continuing these vassals, right? These are the vassals. Okay. Continuing these vassals, uh, vassal states, but with someone who he likes. Yeah. In charge of it. Right. This still maintained the distinction between the vassal state and the main kingdom though mm-hmm. so there's still a bit of distance between the two mm. it doesn't mean that they are now part of the same kingdom it just means that it's sort of like an addition it's like a protect protectorate
0: well i mean ironically they a lot of them did end up getting absorbed into <laughs> and the that's kingdom. what comes yeah. next
1: jit then talks about the cultivation of a new breed of rulers mm. not in like a like a mass inbreeding but they probably did. Well this is a Habsburg. What <laughs> <Is> right? <laughs> well, what I mean by this is the creation of a new political class like a governing class right yeah. so we get governors yeah right we who, get who, who
0: are related uh, by yeah, blood yeah. yeah we
1: get these Juhung who are in charge of the different provinces and rather than having a distinct government they just become part of a new provincial government
0: yeah so so like an example would be under the previous system that some described You would have, uh, let's say, your capital is Bangkok. You have all of these other families in the other cities uh, in, in the rest of Siam. And these families are from those cities and they are governing them. But you replace those families who are, I suppose you could argue, or you could say indigenous to those cities, you replace them with members of your family from Bangkok. That's yeah. essentially what he's saying.
1: Yeah. And with that, you, there's the contraction of the Mandela system in that there's no longer these vast spheres of influence because there's now just one... like Hegemon. Hedge, yeah, one hegemon.
0: Yeah. Wow, nice word. Not We don't use it very often, so... We don't,
1: we don't really. We use it a lot. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, yeah. I know. Right, so... Um, and after, so now we've done the the big landlords, and we've done the, the feudal lords, the, like the the vassal lords. There's also obviously the relationship of the peasants in this context, and obviously the greatest contradiction and antagonism was between the landlords and the peasants. Um, and the thing with the peasantry, uh, Jit argues, is because of the way that landlordism uh, created this individualized. Um, uh, non-relationship uh, there was no stro- there wasn't a strong relationship between peasants in different plots of land because they were so physically separated you're
0: about like peasant solidarity Peas-
1: yeah there is really a lack of peasant solidarity yeah. but there is this cross plot of land that like, all across the plot of land there is still this anger and resentment towards the landlords
0: uh, also I would point out this is a really Marxist like classically oh, Marxist oh. Uh, view yeah. which is showing which is quite contradictory to the Maoist argument that was pro- uh, this is, prominent this is in thailand at the this time this is true
1: yeah jit talks about how all this antagonism um created um this potential for rebellion for re- revolution and there were re- revolts and yeah rebels. but they were quickly quashed yeah. and that was because of a distinct lack of organizational ability however um as with the rise um in two ways as with the rise of the bourgeoisie the new emergent middle class could use this mass base of support from the peasant class because they sort of had more more or less similar interests in that they wanted to overturn the power
0: of the monarchy. Well, they were both antagonistic towards the lords. Also, I just wanted to, something else that Jit mentions when he's referring to the pre-bourgeois era, so that, you know, before there were any bourgeois people, Uh, Jit says that a lot of these revolts were then co-opted by localized landlords to steer them outwards. Yeah. That's the second point is that the, um, the landlords would fight against each other. Yeah.
1: And um, that's before like the creation of the provincial governments. And there's a bit more co co harmony, you could say between the the landlords and they had the same interests. Yeah. Um, So between the two of these uh, different ways of the peasants being sort of us- their peasant interests being usurped by other people, mm. um, j- then comes to the final conclusion that well, obviously, what must happen in this new bourgeois age is that the peasant class must turn to the proletariat,
0: the urban, proletariat, the urban proletariat, yeah.
1: proletariat for direction because they have a situation which is a lot more conducive to building solidarity.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, anti-bourgeois, a- anti-monarch, anti- yeah. I guess solidarity. Yeah.
1: But anyway, they were better organising. So it means that because that's what the peasants lacked, that's where they should turn. Um, So that's political and economic. Uh, The final thing to the few couple points on culture um, is that everything in this part of the thing, in this part of the book, Jit refers to how all these different aspects of culture uphold the Sakdina system um, in one way or another. So whether it be norms and customs and traditions that still, we still carry to these day, like the uh, what's it called? The um, like
0: Wying is one. You
1: know? Oh yeah, Wying is one. Um, the, the 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 festival in May where they do the um, oh the ploughing festival. Yeah, the ploughing
0: festival. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole. Oh yeah. That's a whole thing. They got rid of that. They brought it back. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's a that's a massive vestige, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is that that's that triple bi section between like trisection.
0: Can I explain it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like basically the this is this is in Thailand only, like, or and uh, probably the surrounding areas maybe that the the monarch had the ability to curry favor with certain gods to make it rain or not, and it's because you have this dry season, you're waiting for the rain to come so that your plants will grow again and um yeah so so you so you were desperate for rain and the monarch supposedly had this power to make it rain um <laughs> he goes into this make it rain club with the um, so 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 the the peasants would go and you know beg beg the monarch to make it rain and then you know i, I don't know how they managed to pull this off for, i mean he for would say i bless centuries. the rains and uh, yeah and, and so that and that right and so the intersection here is both as you say like uh religious yeah and it becomes a cultural, cultural institution thing, yeah. um so mon- then, well, it's a monarchy thing and yeah. it's
1: it's a productive thing
0: and, and it's it's political right and it's political so, yeah 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 so
1: yeah. it's not really a triple it's like a yeah it's so quadruple it, bypass yeah. big threat uh big big threat indeed um and, and that's and, just one and, example
0: and as you say you know that that's still a tradition today kind
1: of <laughs> i mean yeah i mean obviously it depends on how much you actually be- i don't think we believe in it as much these days you know like, it used to be a belief yeah uh, these days, it's more of a tradition for tradition's sake. But but, but those
0: things, re- as like Jip Jip makes it really clear that these traditions, even if they are again vestiges, yeah. they they still uphold secti now, nah, kind of like yeah. internally, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, like like cu- culturally, it just seems acceptable. Yeah, because we do these things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, but yeah, another couple aspects of culture, just to sort of go off um, on on these points, is the obviously the patriarchy is is one of the biggest things that that jit talks about and strangely enough uh according to some of the things i've been reading you know you want to give a little shout out to yeah uh whoever the uh peter chonlawan uh whoever you are uh thanks for writing this thing on jit um because you mentioned how apparently i didn't know this that jit was a big thing in a like like a feminist circles. feminist like thai feminist circles or something like that yeah. um which i i didn't realize but he did talk quite a bit about um the exploitation of women um which i guess he probably took from a from reading like angles i guess i would imagine so. i would imagine so yeah yeah um but yeah that's a big thing and obviously the one thing that still carries on the biggest thing that i can see in today's mono oh should i should i mention this
0: Okay, and on to the next point. Yeah, I was going to talk about the harem. <laughs> yeah, no, let's not do that. Yeah. Oh, you could talk about older her, her-, her- Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: You know, what, what, what used to happen is that uh, women were, obviously, they were seen as like objects of uh, the, the desire of Saktina men. This is how Jit says it. You know? This is how Jit says yeah. it. They were the desires of Saktina... They're, they're, sorry, they're the objects of Saktina's men men's desires. Mm. And their byproducts, children, were only seen in a functional... And a objective manner in the sense that they were either to be used to expand lineages or for political marriages or such and such. Mm-hmm. Or that was my stomach rumbling. Uh, they were used to expand lineages or political um, alliances. weddings and alliances. Yeah. Or they were just like the thing that happened because you shagged one of the women that you own.
0: Yeah. He, he really basically does just say that.
1: Yeah. And. Yeah. I can imagine that's just pretty true the world over in the feudal period. Mm. Um, so, yeah, when people talk about family values. Uh... <laughs> anyway, the next thing that is relevant uh, is the idea of nationalism. And it's not nationalism in the idea of the nation state, because obviously, you know, Westphalia. We're uh, pre-Westphalia. We're pre-Westphalia here. Um, but, well, we get towards that. Anyway, the point about uh, the, na- the nationalism in the sense is, is that Capitalism is rife with division for the sake of Breaking down the ability to create solidarity Yeah. And nationalism in the Sakdina context Was like, oh, my feudal ki- kingdom And their feudal kingdom, we don't get along We're not compatible We're not compatible And obviously the reason for non-compatibility Isn't because of any innate sense of cultural difference Because of, you know, how close you are So nationalism in the Sakdina context um, Is... In, in this materialist way is that my, me as a king will gain something from attacking you as a king.
0: You're like land.
1: Land or, or, or slaves yeah. or, access, or, to or certain access to, uh, routes or... Uh, like, you know, water and yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so there's all this um, material potential to gain. And so in order to achieve that, I must now... Create a cultural element to that desire,
0: but but also I think it's important because we mentioned before about the the landlords taking that anger, that antagonism of the of the peasantry and turning it outwards. Yeah, right, and this is. Something like it's, it's, it's a it's two birds with one stone, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you you can turn it outwards for your own material gain,
1: and by doing that, you diffuse the anger of the of the, yeah, of the peasantry. They just want someone to f- to beat. Yeah. Or well, well, uh, that's, yes, that's that's yeah. That's reductive, but you yes, know, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If they, if they get all their anger out against this guy... Well, or you, it's him.
0: more like you, you you steer their anger towards an external enemy... Rather than you, At, the internal... Well, yeah,
1: that's what... Jit talks about how it's yeah. like... Um, the whole... Well, the real cause of your problems... Is the fact that there's not enough land... Or there's not enough... Like... Uh, irrig- the, the irrigation system isn't expansive enough... But... If we attack this nearby kingdom... Yeah... We could, yeah. you know,
0: so it's it's that kind of that kind of way. But you wouldn't even. But no. But that's but that's skipping a beat because they wouldn't use that. Well, maybe they would, but they wouldn't always use that. They would create these kind of cultural reasons, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, the people over there, they're doing, you know, sacrilegious stuff. They're doing. Stuff which is you know, and and we still do like the, the America does this today. You know they they hate us for our freedom. You know that shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're it, too it, free. Yeah, like uh, their us our, our existence is not compatible with their way of life. So they want to destroy us. We better go over there and destroy yeah. them first. Yeah. And hey, look, we also get the plunders of war. So
1: I think that I mean basically
0: that, that sums up the the key things. I mean for the cultural.
1: Review. Uh, I, I recommend just reading the actual um, post itself because that talk. There's like seven or nine different yeah. dimensions. But but basically, like every every. I think the key. Every dimension of culture upholds the yeah. in some way or another. Yeah,
0: and this just doesn't doesn't just go for culture. You know, it goes it goes for everything. Like you know, patriarchy as well as you know the mode of production as well as the political structure. Everything. In the saktina society is there to uphold the saktina system itself yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. i think we've kind of missed a little bit here which is like oh, yeah. then we have that emergence of the merchant class ah which, right which becomes the bourgeoisie yeah
1: so you know as i mentioned somewhere along the way jit also really emphasizes how these conditions create and relate to the emergent bourgeois middle class. Maybe we should talk about how they were able to emerge through trades. Right. So these emergent middle class, they start off um, as like groups of really specialized uh, artisans. Uh, they were the merchants and you know, they were people like captains of ships and that they were, they had access and they had access to the new thing, which was capital Yeah. in a way that was allowed by well, they they the, were kind the, of often like they were the necessitated
0: middle. by the system itself. Like I, uh, they, someone had to drive the damn boat. Yeah, but yeah. they but they also like developed into middlemen. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe so, I'm not. actually... Maybe I used to drive the boat, but now I've trained a couple other guys to, to drive, drive the boat. The boat. So and I'm just I'm, telling people to drive the boat. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and it, I get a big old cut yeah. for telling people to precisely, drive the boat, precisely. which is kind of the the real concept of the bourgeoisie, <laughs> right? Just not doing any fucking work and just no telling people what work to do and getting paid for that. So
1: and you know. But this it's,
0: is, it's, it's, it's through that secondary mode of production that the bourgeoisie is able to emerge, right? And, and it's through
1: that um, sort of gradual amassing of a new uh, new material uh, sort of base for, for wealth. You're so talking about capital. Yeah. yeah. So now you amass capital and you, you supersede the need to amass land.
0: And then you have this new, because of this monopoly system, as you described it earlier, that the lords were enforcing, you now have this antagonism with them, right? And as well, you know, we have references a few times, maybe not explicitly as well, when the peasants or the proletariat get rowdy, you can then harness that and ally with that and lead that. And that's
1: how he references the French Revolution. Yeah,
0: against yeah. against the the feudal lords.
1: Yeah, yeah. And because of um, I mean, obviously land is still a factor in the production of capital, but th- because of the, uh, the, the, don't, but because of the control over land by the feudal class, um, there is now then a limit as to how far the capital can, can grow. Yeah. So in order for capital to grow, land must come under the purview of the middle class, mm. which is, as Gabriel mentions why there is antagonism yeah and obviously other rules are like you know uh only the feudal lords can really trade but you can be middlemen Hmm. and again that again causes more antagonism so there's just a whole list of problems um in the view of uh, through the lens of the the middle class against the feudal lords which then causes as i mentioned earlier the decline of
0: the trade monopoly system And then this emergence—it's the decline of the monopoly part of the the monopoly part, yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah—and the emergence of new, not not new in like the very new way, but what I mean is that handicrafts they become industry, yeah, and it becomes new uh, a new evolution to use a Pokemon term of modes of production, yeah, Uh, and agricultural mode of production rather than it being a primary mode becomes sort of tertiary well it's still considered primary but it's not primary in terms of importance it's primary in terms of like along the manufacturing way but what i mean is that it's not it doesn't take up as much emphasis uh, as the actual industrial sector.
0: Yeah, I think this is something that Tyrell Habercon mentioned, right? Like the farmers are the backbone of the yeah, nation. Yeah, yeah. Because without um,
1: them, you don't have anything to put through a manufacturing process.
0: Exactly, but like at the same time, they are invisible. Yeah. They're, you don't see them, you don't care about them. It's not. It's not. They're reliable,
1: dominated
0: peoples, basically.
1: Shout out to Tyrell Habercon,
0: who, who, as you mentioned earlier, have no personhood. Yeah, and still yeah. today. In, in Tyrell's book, the way she describes farmers from the perspective of the current ruling class, they still don't see them as really having personhood. You, know?
1: you don't really think of that person who's, uh, who's, uh, who, who gr- raised that that pig. <laughs> right.
0: And, and as well, you you can see this in, in our taxon episode, which was the detest of the ruling class at these people being brought into the political sphere because they they it's not their realm no. according to you know the ruling class um, so i think that's kind of again talking vestiges quite an important thing to yeah. remember yeah the,
1: the, the um well we used to refer to them as the peasants but we i mean we could still call still them, do, we yeah. still call them peasants but they're like they used to get shown because you saw them but now they get shown in secret yeah, kind of. It's like, because they're, they're prominent in, they're because they're, 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 they used to get exploited because they're a prominent part of the productive system. They are still a, a, an important part of the productive system, but they're not as present or as prevalent in terms of numerically as like an an, an urban working class.
0: I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's, that's why there's like a, like a dual level of exploitation mm. because um, people that try and gain rights for workers well, it's like, Factory workers, mm-hmm. as opposed to like farmers, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else that we sort? Of-
0: yeah, so you know, just just going back to that middle class and the emergence of it, the bourgeois class. Th- this was, I think, I think maybe some people could read Jit's work and see his interpretation being that oh, Thailand is still basically Nata with a few <laughs> differences, but no, I, I disagree. Uh, I think that JIT very much describes Thailand as a capitalist society which still has a monarchy.
1: And which makes sense because, you know, obviously if we assume the dialectical law of the qualitative and the, into the quantitative and vice versa, there are going to be elements of the Sakdina feudal system in a capitalist society. Yeah. And so it it makes perfect sense to say that there are feudal elements in a, Capital society,
0: yeah, and and as well, you know, the uh, semi-colonial, semi-feudal. Mm. I, I see that as being semi-colonial, semi-feudal capitalist. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I don't I don't think because you know this is Jit's thesis. You know, uh, semi-feudal, semi-colonial. I, I don't think those two things are re- rejecting capitalism in any yeah, way. Yeah. I mean, capitalism can very much coexist with those two things, and and I think. As well, when you look at it from like quite a traditional Marxist lens, I think JIT is arguing like, you know, we haven't had this liberal revolution in Thailand. You could argue maybe that 32 was for a time, but that that didn't I mean, that, that didn't yeah, last. No. There, there was there was a, a a bit of a transition, but still today, when you see certain coups and maybe who might may or may not. <laughs> allegedly be behind them um, you start to realise well no, I mean Thailand is still semi-feudal in many ways And, and also not just referring to the ultimate power structure, referring to all, all the other things we mentioned in terms of culture, in terms so of... Production. In terms of modes of production, in terms of exploitation. Yeah. They, yeah. they still yeah. exist right. from okay. that era. Imagine exporting rice
1: and not calling yourself an agricultural nation. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. You, you clearly are an agricultural... Well, it's, well
0: majority of rice. I well, I don't know. All, 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 we need all, to look into those. Things. All I'm saying, all yeah. I'm saying it's is not. That, I don't even see that there's necessarily... Oh, you're talking about like the mode of production, right? Yeah.
1: All I'm saying is, if you make a lot of rice, you are.
0: Well, how much do you mean by a lot?
1: Oh, a significant amount of no, um, amount of rice to cover your entire nation and then export.
0: Yeah, I mean it's also not just that. You, you have to look into it a bit deeper as well. Like for example, Thailand exports a lot of chickens, ah, so no, no, no. Thailand grows a lot of corn to yeah. feed the chickens. So yeah. like huge swaths of northern Thailand is just corn fields. And and that all adds to and the, that feeds the chickens, and, the, the, and then that yeah. their to the, the point that they're export agricultural. It's still agricultural, yeah, 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 right? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Even though those chickens are like grow up in like semi-urban areas, it's horrific. But um... it's
1: unrelated. But do you remember like when they were talking about chicken ho- hormones and like making people's breasts grow? Yeah. Yeah. My mom said no KFC for a while. No, yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, so I think can you give us a little preview of what's maybe yeah. the rest of the book? So next, well, that's, that's like we've just done part one, right? Yeah, so so... we're going to do three parts, or.
1: Uh, we could probably mash the next two into one episode. Into one. Okay. Uh, the next bits of the book really they cover um the trends, the, the history of the sectarian system, um in a in a more sort of Thai context. So you're talking about how it's we start uh Thailand started off as a collection of people coming away from different slave states. How they create their own slave states. How these slave states become uh, feudal kingdoms, and how these kingdoms fight out and create this. Uh. Big sedentary um, state. Uh, and after that, he then goes on to talk about the intricacies of taxes yeah. um, and control of the state. We um, don't need to do sentences. an episode on that. Yeah. No, no. But that will th- be the third part of the, the summary. Sweet. Yeah.
0: Looking forward to it.
1: So, um, in that case, uh, please check out the
0: support page on uh, what's yes. the website? Uh, www.dindang.com forward slash support. Thank you.
1: Anything you donate will be highly appreciated. Uh, Also, remember to tell your comrades you love them uh, and have a great day. (laughs) It's
0: kind of cute, and you're Uh, you're being the host. You're much cuter. Oh, thanks. All Bye bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye bye. (San) I can't believe